Good morning and welcome this Easter Sunday morning. I'm so glad you've joined us today. Uh, virtual hugs, everyone. Even though we're apart, as we've said, we are still together. And uh, I gotta say, Easter is one of my favorite Sundays. And in honor of Easter, I wanna start with one of my favorite stories. Ken Davis tells the story of a woman who looked out her window and saw her German shepherd shaking the life out of her neighbor's rabbit. Her family didn't get along well with these neighbors, so she knew this was going to be a disaster. So she, she grabbed a broom and, and she pummeled the dog until it dropped the dead rabbit out of its mouth. Seeing the dead rabbit, she panicked. She, she grabbed the rabbit, she, she took it back inside her house, she gave it a bath, blow-dried it to its original fluffiness, combed the rabbit until it looked like a rabbit again, then snuck into the neighbor's yard and propped it back up in its cage. An hour later, she heard screams coming from next door. She asked her neighbor, what was going on? Our rabbit, our rabbit, her neighbor cried. He died two weeks ago, we buried him, and now he's back. I, I hope you're laughing right now because otherwise this is just plain awkward for me. But the moral of that story is sometimes what looks like the end is actually the end. And sometimes what looks like the end is not always the end. I think of the beginning of World War II when Nazi and, and Axis victories were stunning the world and, and Great Britain was reeling from defeats at Dunkirk and in the, in the Pacific and, and it looked like all was lost. But Winston Churchill confidently countered this belief in one of his historic speeches. He said, now this, this is not the end. It is not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. And on what we call Good Friday, it looked like the end. It, it looked like the game was over, darkness won, hope was gone, but it turns out that the crucifixion of Jesus was simply the end of the beginning. And I don't know about you, but I've been really looking forward to Easter this year maybe more than most. These have been hard days, and, and the threat of this pandemic has been all too real. Um, the, the question was put out there online this week, is COVID-19 really that serious? And the answer was, hey, all the churches and casinos are closed. When heaven and, and hell agree on the same thing, it's probably pretty serious. But what it does is, is it's been raising all kinds of fears, and doubts, and, and questions, and confusion. And so as we consider Easter and its message, it, it speaks right to our day. Because you can't really appreciate Easter and, until you've been to, to dark places, uh, until you've been to the cross, and considered the tragedy and, and triumph of Jesus' death that was unmerited and undeserved. Once you've seen the extent of that darkness, that evil, you can begin to appreciate the incredible power and hope of the Easter message. You see, the, the Christian understanding of Jesus' life and death is this, that in Jesus Christ, the God who, who created the universe, the king of the cosmos, chose to visit our little planet. That God came and, and, and he became one of us. He walked among us. He was disguised. His, his glory was hidden. He was born into the world the normal way, just, just like you and I. He, he, he grew up, and at the age of 30, he began his, his public ministry. He, he began preaching the news of the kingdom of God, that God's kingdom, God's reign was upon us, 
And so we should repent and believe the good news. And then he began to teach. He taught us what God was like and, and, and what we're like as human beings. He, he called people to live a life that was aligned with the kingdom of God. And he began to show us what it looked like. He began to heal the sick and, and, and he opened the eyes of the blind. He even raised the dead. And, and he loved sinners and, and, and broken people and, and outcasts who weren't even allowed in the synagogues or the temples. He ate with and he hung out with drunkards and sinners and prostitutes and, and tax collectors. He told them about a God who loved son and sons and daughters who had run away from home and, and how he longed for them to come back to himself. This was the picture of God that he painted for the people. But he also began to, to denounce the religious people, the authorities he believed who were pushing people away from God rather than drawing people to God. He spoke against their hypocrisy and, and the rules and the regulations. And for this, they got really ticked at him. And, and some looked at Jesus and they thought he was a lunatic or, or, or crazy. And others watched him and heard him and decided to follow him. The, the last week of his life, Jesus came into Jerusalem and, and he began to preach and, and many more people began to follow him, and the religious leaders were threatened by this, and they were angered by his condemnation of their hypocrisy, and, and so they determined he had to die. And then later that week, just before he was arrested, he famously ate supper with his disciples, and then he went to a garden to pray where, where they fell asleep, and one of his disciples betrayed him, another denied him, and, and the rest deserted him that night. He was taken before the religious leaders in a makeshift trial in the home of Caiaphas, the high priest. And, and here you have some of the most religious people on the planet, people who should have recognized God, but they can't see it. They, they were blind and insecure and, and, and afraid. And, and get this, the, the, the tragic irony that these most religious people on the planet considered, condemned God when he walked on this planet of the sin of blasphemy. They, they took him before Pontius Pilate, the governor who was appointed by Rome, and, and Pilate could see Jesus wasn't guilty of any crimes, and yet Pilate, in order to satisfy the crowd, determined that Jesus had to be tortured and killed. He, he offered a choice between two messiahs, you know, Barbara, uh, Bar Barabbas, who was a murderer, an insurrectionist, and a, a man of the sword, and Jesus of Nazareth, who taught people to forgive and love your enemies. And the crowd called for them to crucify Jesus. And then Jesus was taken by Roman soldiers to a courtyard where they surrounded him, and they flogged him, and they spit, and they mocked, and pressing a crown of thorns on his head, and finding, finally leaving him, leading him out of the city to crucify him. This is what happened when God walked among us. Even the thief on the cross beside Jesus hurled insults at this man. Do you, do you kind of see the, the crescendo of darkness and violence and hatred and fear and human sin and the ugliness and, and the tragedy of the cross? You, you have to see this because you can't understand the resurrection without it. That all the bad things we can think of, all, that, that all represent evil, we're all embodied in that one moment, in that act, 
in that six hours when Jesus hung on that cross and the hours that were leading up to it. Some of you have said in the past, you know, I'd believe God, I'd believe in God if he'd, he'd show up and, and knock on my door. I, I've heard that. If only I could see God, if only he'd knock on my door, I, I'd believe. And here's the thing. He did that once. He, he came and he, and he lived among us and he knocked on our door and it didn't turn out so good. Human beings put him to death. And, and this is part of what we're meant to see in the cross, in the, in the suffering of Jesus. And, and you have to understand for the disciples, you know, after Jesus was crucified, he was laid in the grave. Uh, there, there were two people courageous enough to, to go to Pilate and ask for permission to take down the body. The Romans just would have left him to the elements and, and eventually thrown him on the trash heap. But Joseph and Nicodemus go after his, bio, uh, his body, and at his funeral, they cleaned the body. They, they wrapped him in linens, and they placed him in a, a new tomb, and they rolled a stone in front of it. Do you know how many people attended the funeral of the, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Four. Two women and these two men. The rest of the disciples were afraid. They, they were hiding behind locked doors, afraid they'd be next. And, and then for the next two days, they, they were, it was a very dark time. All, all their hopes, all, all their dreams had been pinned on this Jesus. They thought he was the Messiah. They, they thought God was in him doing something amazing. They, they'd seen him, and, and their hearts had changed listening to him. And, and now, like, was, was it a fraud? Or, or, or worse, maybe there was no God at all. C.H. Dodd, the, the New Testament scholar, says, anybody standing there watching things unfold at the cross would have been tempted to say there is no God if things like that happen. And the disciples might have been thinking that. <laughs> they, they were shocked, they were afraid, they, they couldn't see how they could move forward from here their, their lives were threatened, their king was gone, their, their hopes were, were dashed, their faith crushed. This is what they were experiencing on Friday night and, and Saturday and, and Saturday nights. Now you understand those feelings, don't you? I, I, you've been there before. For whatever reason, you know what it's like between Good Friday and, and Easter Sunday. You've been at places in your own personal life where, where things seem so dark and and so grim where you thought God was nowhere to be found. And you ask some of those same questions. Maybe there is no God. Maybe there is no hope. How, how do I deal with this? All of us have had those moments that were, were Saturday between Friday and Easter. I, I know because I've been with some of you during those times. You know, divorce. You know, just everything in your life coming apart at the seams. At losing your jobs. You know, some kind of financial disaster, a family crisis, having someone you love die, or illness. Easter weekend uh, often makes me feel just a, a range of emotions. Part of it, it's close to my birthday, and so that, that's a good thing, and, and I love celebrating my birthday. Thank you for those who cheer me on in my growing number of years, but uh, I also think it was around Easter not that many years ago when I said goodbye to my dad. 
losing my dad to cancer was a Saturday for me. And I think back to another Saturday when, when I was in my 20s when I suffered a, my great depression <laughs> where my emotions were so dark and, and in that place, and those of you who have suffered from this kind of thing, you know it seems like it is never going to end. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. But for each of us, we, we have our Saturdays. You, you, you know those places, right? Where, where evil seems to triumph, where, where hope seems to be snuffed out, where you wonder, is there a God at all? We've all been there. And, and that's where the disciples were. And until you understand this and kind of the magnitude of the evil that took place that Good Friday, you can't appreciate what happened on Easter Sunday. Well, let's consider what happened on that first Easter Sunday. On that morning, as we heard read earlier, Mary Magdalene and other women who are followers of Jesus, they went to the tomb. And they went very early in the morning and they were gonna try and find two or three men who, who'd be strong enough to, to roll the, the tombstone away from the tomb and, and so they could finish their burial preparations. Jesus had been buried on Friday in a real hurry and so they wanted to, to, to anoint his body with oil and with spices. So they arrived early that Sunday morning and, and they were worried, like who's gonna roll this, this stone away? But as they turn the corner and they arrive at the grave, they, they find that, that somebody already has done this, that the, the grave is gaping wide open. And they rush to the tomb. Maybe they're, they're fearfully expecting that someone had, had broken in to steal the body to, to further desecrate him. But when they got to the tomb, they found a, a young man dressed in white. John tells us it was an angel. Angel simply means a, a messenger of God. And so there was a messenger from God standing there in white, and this young man said, don't be afraid. And he asks them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Now they, you know, I mean, got to be confused at this point. They didn't know what to make of this fact. They were stunned. Is it true? Is it possible? Not in their wildest dreams. I mean, people didn't rise from the dead any more frequently in the first century than they do today. They, they ran quickly to the place where the disciples were hiding. They, they banged on the door and they said, Peter, John, hurry, come. He's been raised from the dead and a man in white told us this. And, and Peter and John, does, they don't believe it. They, they think this is crazy talk. But they ran to the tomb and when they got there, they found the grave clothes lying there and the body was gone just as the woman had said. Now the Gospels, they differ at what happens next. You'll find Matthew tells us one thing, Mark tells us another, Luke and John. They all have different ways of telling the resurrection story and, and all of them are likely capturing pieces of it. The, the earliest account of the resurrection is told to us by the apostle Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul tells us that Jesus first appeared to the 11 disciples, then he appeared to James, Jesus' little brother, and then to over 500 people at one time. And he continued to appear for a period of time, about 40 days. Here and there, they'd see him, and he'd, he'd talk to them, and they would touch his hands, his scars, the, the hole in his side, the, the scar in his side, and see that he was really alive, that he, he wasn't a ghost. He was with them, and he taught them, and he explained what was going on. And then finally, Matthew records the, the very last thing Jesus said to his disciples. He, he's talking to them, and he says, now listen, you, you know, I'm not going to, this is what I want you to do. You're not going to see me anymore, and I want you to go into all the world 
I want you to preach the good news of the, the kingdom of God. I, I want you to make disciples of all people. You know, teach them what I taught you. Baptize them. And, and then he says this, this wonderful phrase. He says, and lo, even though you may not feel me, even though you may not see me, you, you need to know I am with you always, even to the end of the age. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, I am with you always. Well, that, that first resurrection encounter and those that occurred over the next 40 days transformed these disciples. These men who'd fled and denied and, and hid behind locked doors and were too afraid even to attend Jesus' funeral, they're now, where are they? They're on the streets proclaiming this news, you know, proclaiming to everyone, you can do to us what you want, you can kill us if you want to, but we've got to tell you, the one you crucified, we've seen him raised from the dead, and he's in fact the son of God, he's the king of glory, glory. he's the savior of the world, and they'd eventually go, up, go throughout the whole world proclaiming this news. They continued to face difficult times. They, they were arrested time and time again. They were abused. They were beaten. They were thrown in prison. All, all but one of the 11 disciples were put to death for their faith. But they'd never faced these dark places the same way they had before because they'd seen the risen Lord. <laughs> They, they faced life with confidence and, and hope and, and with faith. And, and our hope is, this Easter, is that we might for just a moment pro, proclaim the same joy, the same hope, the same faith that they had, that it might shape our lives, that it might change our perspectives on both our living and our dying. So, so let's just talk for a moment about the significance of Jesus' resurrection and how it might do that for us. First, how ultimately the resurrection of Jesus is the sign of God's victory over all that is evil in our world. I think we really need to hear this today. And, and this, I think, is the most powerful moment we're, we're meant to recognize in the cross and the resurrection. Christians believe that, that by Jesus' death on the cross, God was saving the world. How the cross, in, in a way, is, is God speaking to us, showing us our brokenness and our need, and, and also showing us the profound love of God expressed to us in that act. I, I, I've often said to you over the years, how much does God love us? Love us? He loves us this much. But the idea is this. In, in our world, there are many things that, that separate us from God. I, I, think of, I think of my own selfishness. I, ironically, this week as I'm preparing to preach a message on Easter and the hope that we have in Christ. Uh, in some ways, I'm, I'm behaving very poorly towards my family members. They, they, they can attest to this and, and are witnesses to this fact. You know, and somehow it is truly out of my character, I think, but actually probably not so much. This selfishness of mine is far more deeply rooted than I care to admit. And and this has the potential of not only separating me from my family, but also separating me from God. And so there's our own sin. There's our propensity to, to evil, our, our hates, our, our tendency to do the wrong thing rather than the right thing. There's our injustice. There's our, our fears and our insecurities. There's our betrayals. There's our hoarding of both toilet paper and all kinds of other cleansing products. 
But, but all things come to a head on the cross, and, and God came in human flesh to teach us something, to demonstrate something to us, to, to make us one with him by taking on himself all that was evil. So you have this, this climactic moment, you know, this crescendo where evil and darkness seem to reign. And between that Friday and Sunday for the disciples, it, it seemed to them like evil had won. It had won the day. Jesus you know, expressed it on the cross in these most heart-rending words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the dramatic moment you're meant to see on the cross. God does all this, and he absorbs all the, the evil humanity has to offer, and it seems as though that's the final word. But here's the deal. Even though it seemed that evil Satan seemed to be reigning in that moment, on that third day when Christ rose from the dead, he obliterated, he shattered all those things. It was the, the victory that, that came after that said God in his suffering, in his resurrection, will have the final word always. That, that sin doesn't ultimately have the final say. That evil will not ultimately triumph. That death and darkness and pain, all, all those things will, will have to give way to the power of God. God is more powerful than all of those things. God is stronger than our weakness. He's stronger than our hate and our, our bigotry. He's stronger than our selfishness and our propensity to do wrong. And ultimately, God is stronger than death. This is the power of Jesus' death and resurrection. And, and, and so you couldn't have the resurrection without the death. It becomes a, a central part of God's salvation of the human race. God is saving us from being afraid. God is saving us from our own stupidity and our, our sin and our fears in the, in the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is the defining story of human history, and, and it's meant to define our lives. It's, it's meant to shape how we respond to everything else in life in light of this particular story. Now, it's interesting what this does in real life, how you play this out, because you know, right now, there's, there's all kinds of things going on in our world that represent darkness and, and despair and a lack of hope in the future. It, it, it's like the cover story a while back uh, of a magazine kind of captured this. It said, be worried, be very worried. And, and how, how can we watch the news these days and not kind of have it leaving us just a little terrified? But here's what I know, folks. The COVID-19 pandemic will not have the final word Jesus will have the final word. A recession or depression or, or whatever comes at us economically, it will not have the final word. Jesus will have the final word. Climate change, uh, global warming, uh, natural disasters will not have the final word. Jesus will have the final word. And, and that gives us hope. That, that gives us courage as we face the problems of our times. It, it doesn't mean we avoid things, these things or, or not care about what's happening, put our heads in the sand, but we can face those things with confidence and hope and great courage because we know who has the final word. In your personal lives, this is true. I, I, I've been with some of you when, when you've been divorced, your, your spouse left you and, and your whole world seemed to cave in on you, and, and you were going, you're going to have to move. You're not certain about how you're going to deal with the kids and how you're going to make ends meet, and it seemed like everything was coming apart. 
But you know what? Divorce is never the final word. Jesus will have the final word. I've been, I've been sitting with members of our congregation when everything was going wrong, being in a hospital with them, or someone who's, who's going through a serious illness, or, or depression, and feeling like there's no God, feeling like, how could this happen to me? But, but you know what? The health issue that you are going through right now does not have the final say of your life. It doesn't have the final word. Jesus will be the final word. And, and of course, what seems to be the most final word for most of us is death. Death seems to be the final word when we find out that a loved one of ours is dying or, we're, or someone we care about very much and they're taking their last breath. And, and in those moments, the darkness can seem so heavy, but death is never the final word. Jesus is the final word. And if you belong to Jesus, there is nothing that can change that. He won't let you go. You, you can see Jesus will always have the final word. I, I want to just kind of ask you this question as we wrap up. I want to ask you, what truth or story defines your life? Are, are we just kind of accidents floating in space? You, you live for a while, you have some good experiences, you have some bad experiences, and you have some heartache, and then you die, and that's it? Or do you... <laughs> allow to define your life that there's a God who created the universe, who knows you by name, who loves humankind, who is willing to suffer and die to, to redeem us from all that's dark and, and sinful in our world, and, and finally was, was raised from the dead to say that you do not have to be afraid. With me, the end is never the end. I'll always have the final word. You see, that's a choice you make. You, you, you put your trust in Jesus, and, and you try to follow him. You, you put your faith in his life, and in his message, and in his way of life. That, that's what I want to encourage you to, to think about doing today. Maybe this morning you, you have questions. And, and can I encourage you, maybe God's put a pause in the planet right now so that you can actually have time and margin to ask those questions. I think for some of you right now, one of the best things you could do is take us up on our invitation and join our online Alpha course. And it, it, nine weeks that could change your life as you wrestle with uh, who is this Jesus? What is he about? What does he mean for me? Or if you're here with us online and, and you don't have a church home, it's, it's time to start getting connected to a church. It's time to pursue this, to consider who is God? What does he mean for my life? How do I I live with him and, and walk with Christ every day. For he promises to be with you always, even to, very, to the very end, if you choose to walk with him. As a pastor, as a Christian, I've, I've often been asked, do you really believe this stuff? Do you really believe it? And listen, I not only believe it, I'm counting on it. And you can too. Let's pray. God, you uh, know every person who is tuning into this. You know them by name. You, you know their stories. You know the dark places they've been through and the dark places that they're going to go through in the future. And for all of them, your love is, is deeper and wider than they could imagine or believe. I pray, God, that you would help them today. I, I pray you'd help them to decide, I, I need this story. I, I need Jesus 
Christ. I want to follow him. I want him and his story to define my life. I want his resurrection to be mine someday. I ask that you'd help us together as a community to continue to grow in our faith and to live for you and with you, to face the challenges that we, we see in our world with, with boldness and courage. Help us to do so with the hope that you always have the last word. Help us always to remember that this is always just the end of the beginning. Help us and fill us with your hope and your joy. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.